From the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin, welcome to The Surgery Set. I'm Jonathan Kohler, an assistant professor in pediatric surgery here in Madison, home of the Badgers. This is a podcast all about surgery and the individuals who are at the cutting edge of it, and we're glad you're here. Welcome to The Surgery Set. If you enjoy our program, please rate the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever you download your podcasts. It really helps us grow. On this episode, I speak with my friend and colleague, Dr. Peter Nickel. He's an associate professor in the Division of Pediatric Surgery here in Madison and holds the Cars Curing Kids Professorship for Pediatric Surgical Disease Research. He's also an expert helping children with short gut syndrome and intestinal failure. Dr. Nickel attended medical school at Washington University, where he also got a PhD in neuroscience, then came back to the University of Wisconsin for residency and did his fellowship in pediatric surgery at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. In addition to being a pediatric surgeon, Dr. Nickel has a passionate interest in both fast cars and rural healthcare. I hope you'll find the way he's combined these interests as inspiring as I do. Dr. Nickel, thank you so much for uh, for joining us on the podcast today. You are definitely the uh, the closest visitor to the podcast that we've had. We share a wall in our offices, so it's um, it's great to have you step next door and and join us today. So, Dr. Nickel's my mom, University of Wisconsin Medical School class. 1962, one of seven women in a class of 90. Wow. So I always joke about that. I tell everybody I call her Dr. Nichols still, and she says, Peter, don't say that. That's not very nice of you. <laughs> so I go back to you. Well, Peter, obviously you're one of the, the pediatric surgeons here at the American Family Children's Hospital. You go way back at the University of Wisconsin. Tell us a little bit more sort of how you got here. Take the broad view, because I know you have a really interesting family story as well. So, uh, if you go back three generations, my great-grandmother came here with my great-grandfather. So this would be my mother's paternal grandparents. Okay. They came here from Lago di Zeo, which is in the lake region of Italy. And my great-grandmother was the midwife in Gwynn, Michigan, which was a mining town that was built around the turn of the century for the iron ore mines. So it was this sort of kind of like Grapes of Wrath where they build these towns in California on Canary Row, right, to service the factories. So they built Gwynn, which is I think the name of the guy who owned the company, built this town, G-W-I-N-N, up Michigan to basically have a town there to service them. Company town. She was the midwife. Wow. And she came from an educated family, and then um, she married my great-grandfather in Italy. They had three children there, and is that right? Yeah, they had three girls there, and actually four, because my grandfather was born over there as well. And then then she came over with him, and they had two more kids here. And then my mother's mother's side of the family is also kind of from the UP, so it winds up in the UP. It's where familiar with the military, it's where K.I. Sawyer used to fly the bombers out over Canada to make these long runs to go back and forth through U.S. airspace over Canadian airspace to sort of poke the Soviet back before we had ICBMs. And now, of course, it's a destitute town and K.I. Sawyer's closed. So they landed there from Italy. My grandmother's family, my mother's mother's family, also came from Italy. My grandmother was born here in Guile, Wisconsin, which is right across the border from Ironwood, Michigan. So this is the northwestern part of the state, um, on the way to Ashland, Wisconsin. So very rural, very poor. Again, a mining town. 
And then my mother married a guy who was from Escanaba, Michigan, and his family were um, Danish entrepreneurs that ran an oil and gas company called Hansen Jensen Oil. That was his mother's side of the family, and my dad's dad's family came from Iceland. They were fishermen. So they come from pretty rural roots, both in the old countries, like Iceland's 100, what, 150,000 people when they left. And um, I guess my, my mother's mother's family, they came from just outside of Turin. So they were probably the most city-going of all of them, but they all wound up in northern Wisconsin. And then my grandmother uh, became a pediatric nurse. She was the first, so my mother's mother became a pediatric nurse, was the first member of her family to uh, go to college. And she went to what was called St. Joe's. It's still St. Joe's Hospital in Milwaukee, which is now part of Marquette. And back then it was a two-year nursing program. So she was born in 1908 or so and finished her nursing program in 1928. Uh, survived a horrendous pneumonia and almost died. Uh, was given last rites and then became a pediatric, survived. Um, so she almost died in nursing school. And then became a pediatric nurse and met my grandfather who um, was working for Alice Chalmers and also doing, he was a foreman in the unions and, uh, and then he had one child, my mother, who then went to medical school, the original Dr. Nickel. Started medical school in 1958. So three generations, not including me, of healthcare providers. Midwife, nurse, pediatrician, and now a pediatric surgeon. Do you think that that's one of the reasons why you've been drawn to rural work? That is sort of your passion here, right? Right. Is, is well, that outreach to these, these smaller communities? Yeah, I mean, it's taken me a while to find where my heart is in all this stuff. Um, so... I think like a lot of people, when I, I first I was late coming to medicine, so hmm. I was going to be an engineer. I was actually thinking about being a test pilot and going to the NASA program, and then my freshman year in college, the shuttle blew up. Hmm. And I thought, I don't think they know what's going on. Probably don't want to be in NASA and blow up in a shuttle. I'm not trying to be flip about that, but it was a very, like, I remember being riveted watching TV because we didn't have internet back then over and over and over for eight hours watching this, you know, the, the, this, this vehicle blow up and all the commentary is going on and, um, uh, and, and realized I had to find a different path. And I wasn't exactly turned on by medicine um, because my mother would take these phone calls at night about kids with diaper rash and creepy coughs and <laughs> they heard her right. trying to explain to somebody who was not born in this country what croup is and how it sounds like a seal. And I thought, there's no way I ever want to do that. You know, like a lot of people, I came to, well, I came to it late, and because I didn't really have a fully formed idea about what I wanted to do, the path I chose, with the exception of ending up in surgery, which is really where my heart was, was much more along the academic plane, you know, or trajectory, mm -hmm. because you don't really know anything else. And I hadn't, it took me a long time to develop my own philosophy of what I should be doing as a physician besides just operating. You know, once you achieve a mastery in your own space, I don't want to say it becomes boring, but it starts becoming routine. And is it you're looking for a new set of challenges to master because you've achieved some level of mastery, right? So you're looking for new opportunities to grow. And so it's really only been in the last four or five years that my right brain has kind of been sending me these, these signals that there's something else out there that you need to be focusing on. And two things happened. One is I had a patient who had short gut syndrome um, which is, for the naive listener, she had, had an infection that wiped out her whole intestine as a premature infant. And we knew she had a lethal disease. 
and um, and her adopting parents, um, she was adopted by her nurse who took care of her in a neonatal intensive care unit. After she died, wanted to start a foundation. So I started out with this foundation and an idea, and that had to evolve. And one of the things that helped it evolve was that you and I uh, started going up to cover Gunnarsson Lutheran in Macron. And where we started with the foundation was I should start a foundation to help all these kids like her that died when in reality there's maybe six or seven hundred kids like this in the entire country. And so you start asking these very fundamental questions about bang for the buck and impact and is this the best way to spend money, you know, trying to solve this particular problem. And mm -hmm. I didn't really have a full idea of what that was going to look like as to where we are now. But in the back of my brain, I'm going, how are you going to sell this really complex idea of solving the shortcut problem and get people excited about six or 700 kids in the country total when there's so many more healthcare problems out there? So we evolved a message, foundation is cars carrying kids, and we evolved a message to fund initiatives that will you know, improve children's health in the state of Wisconsin in a measurable way within one to three years. Now, most people can get their heads around that, even if they don't know a lot about healthcare. They understand kids, they understand health, they understand improvements, they understand one to three years. And you know, that was that was where that's where we are after five years. And and a big part of this, Jonathan, is rural health. I mean, you and I live in this world where we are specialists as pediatric surgeons. And we have these families, and you've had them too, that are living month to month, paycheck to paycheck. Uh, they're paying out the nose for health care, they have huge deductibles. It's onerous for them to come to get health care unless it's something absolutely necessary that we can that we only can provide in a children's hospital. And you start taking that equation, you flip around and say, how do I go out and be preventative and provide better service to these regions around the state so that, that what I'm doing in my practice and with my hospital is not impoverishing or um, disabling financially these families. And yeah. I think that's really the, the crux of where I've evolved in the last five years. One of the things that's so inspirational to me about the work that you do is is that you have sort of taken this broader view, right? You've said, like, being a doctor does not just mean operating. Right. It means going out into society, figuring out what the problems are, and then figuring out ways to fix them in very direct ways. One of the things that I think is also so cool about it is that you've done this by blending passions that would seem to have nothing to do with medicine, right? You love cars. Oh, yeah. And your foundation is called Cars Curing Kids. Right. You are using a love of automobiles right. to cure childhood disease. You, do, you wouldn't think those things would fit together, but they do. And so literally the way it started was, you know, this family, um, the Terrys, came to me after McKenna died. and. They had this small bundle of checks. It couldn't have been more than $500. The father, the adopting father, received these at the annual Christmas party for CUNA Mutual. Um, the employees would donate to a charity of their choice. And everybody had been so moved by what Chris and Jeff had done taking care of this child and taking her on knowing that she was going to die. Mm -hmm. It was such a great life for the three plus years that she was alive that they gave them these checks and said, go start a foundation. So, And we had a development guy at that point named Russ Austin, who deserves a fair amount of credit for this. He said to me, look, I know you're passionate about kids. What else are you passionate about? I said, well, I'm passionate about cars. 
well, how passionate are you about cars? I'm like, I want to be a race car driver. I've got a Mustang GT500. I love cars. Yeah. He goes, okay, let's do something about cars and kids. And I'm like, it's that simple. He goes, it's that simple. I'm like, and you know, Russ was always the kind of guy that uh, he's a great with people and he's great at recognizing the idea, but you always feel like he's a little bit like Lieutenant Colonel Samuel, Samuel Troutman from the Rambo movies, who's always getting John Rambo into trouble. Mm-hmm. And he's like, John, I'm really sorry I got you into this. He's like, no, you're not. So Russ is all sort of that guy that's sort of egging you on. And yeah, sure, no problem, right? Yeah. And then I'm like, what did I get myself into? So he knew I had a passion. We had $500, which is not enough to start a foundation. And so how do you start this? He goes, so do you know anybody that knows anything about cars? And I said, well, there's this one nurse practitioner that I know of. And her husband does high-end restorations. Okay, get her on the phone. So I called the head of Pete's cardiology. He says, oh, yeah, it's Ann Dodge. So I call Ann Dodge. She goes, oh, yes, I work with your wife. My wife's a Pete's cardiac anesthesiologist. Oh, yeah, you should talk to my husband. He'd love to hear about this. He has lots of friends. I'm sure he could you know, get you hooked up. And there's one guy you should definitely talk to. His name is George Stauffer. I, I call up Jeff. And Jeff says, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, I, the person you really should talk to is George Stauffer. It was chaotic in the beginning, and I don't know how soon we followed, followed up on this. But I had been, and here's the funny part of the story, I, I had been up at Road America the summer before. Now, it's, we're sometime midwinter now, mm-hmm. maybe mid to late winter. Because when we first met George, it was probably February or March. And I remember going out to, to his, his shop, um, and with Russ Austin, and it was cold out, but there was no snow on the ground. And so I'm looking through this book on this type of car called a GT40, which is the only American car to win Le Mans, and they won four years in a row, 66, 67, 68, and 69, and they were Ford cars. Hmm. And I'm looking through there, and, and there's this one, the first car that won Le Mans, that was an American car, is this very famous race car called GT40 uh, Prototype 1046. And there is a photo in this book on GT40s of this car in primer in a crate. And it says underneath this, you know, the caption reads, in the possession of one George Stauffer from Wisconsin. And I'm like, oh my God, I think we've hit the jackpot. This has got to be the same George Stauffer. Yeah. Right? So then I text Jeff Dodge and, and I said, did you restore this car? He goes, if you're talking about the prototype that won Lamont, yeah, I did. People who love cars really love cars. Right. So, yeah. so George had um, come from a very successful uh, family cheese business and really loved cars too. George also loves kids. He's just a great guy. And so um, Russ and I went out to see him, and you know, you don't know how these things are going to go. Mm-hmm. You don't know if he's going to say yes. We didn't ask him for any money. We said we're starting a board, and would he be our first member? And George said. Yes, and it took about two or three months, and then we had 24, 25 people on the board. Car people, pretty much. And largely that group has stayed intact. Mm -hmm. And that was really how it started. But, you know, we had a lot of fits and starts trying to sort all this out. And it took a while to figure out what the secret sauce was. And for us, the secret sauce, at least around the events down in Madison, because we now have a bunch of events in in and around Madison, the secret sauce was taking graduates of the Children's Hospital, Ronald McDonald House, and pairing, with, pairing them with people who have, you know, an exotic or a hot rod or a muscle car, 
had taken him on a cruise through Shorewood Hills and UW campus under police guidance. And it has been, I mean, for everybody who's done that, who's never done it before, it's a complete eye-opening experience because these drivers typically are not from the healthcare professions. It's the first time they've ever spent any time with a kid with a medical history in their car for 45 minutes to an hour, and it's quiet, you know, you're going slowly, so what are you talking about? You get the kid to talk, and the kid starts telling their story. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very eye-opening, enlightening experience for them, and very meaningful. The other unintended consequence of all this was that for the kids, it was an emotionally healing experience, because it's the first time they make an association between the Children's Hospital and Ronald McDonald House with something fun. Because no matter right. how beautiful you make a Children's Hospital or Ronald McDonald House, they're still sick. Mm -hmm. So there's a psychological trauma and a PTSD thing associated with that, and this helps get them over that. Um, so, you know, we started really fundraising in earnest in 2015, um, and you know, I think this last year we really finally started to hit our stride and have a, a whole series of events and venues that consistently raise money. And the other part of the secret sauce is, you know, funding these initiatives like Project Echo. Um, when we're funding you. Right, yeah. Full disclosure, I have received a grant from the Cars Caring Kids Foundation. Right, right. And I had nothing to do with that decision. I read through all the grants, edited all the grants, talked to all the applicants, made sure that they made sense and they were readable. And then I stood back and I let a subcommittee of non-physicians decide on what they wanted to fund. And my only role there was to answer questions. And that was it. Um, and that has been electrifying uh, because it now, in addition to the immediate, you know, meaningfulness and purpose of doing the cruise, we now have this timeline trajectory of funding stuff that's going to deliver tangible results within one or three years. And in this era of you know the microseconds and um, social media and short attention spans, having something that has an immediate impact that people can touch and feel and see is extremely momentum building mm -hmm. for these. So you know if you're gonna, I guess my advice is if you're ever gonna start a foundation. Make sure that you have visible horizons that you can reach in a short period of time. Yeah. Yeah, and deliver results. It's just like a business in that respect. And, and that's a critical part of momentum. The other part of it is you've got to have some sort of event that's really unique. Mm -hmm. Those would be my two pieces of advice. So we did Cars Carrying Kids, and, and now you know, we just did a benefit cruise for Ronald McDonald House and had 73 cars, um, raised $45,000, or, or about $45,000, over 40 of which is going to go pay for... Uh, room and, and board for displaced families that come to Madison for their kids to get health care at the American Family Children's Hospital. And, and one can say, well, you know, I thought you were going to fund these projects that have a one to three year trajectory. Yes, but, but what we're trying to do is, the, you know, we're trying to prevent poverty. And there's multiple ways in which you can do that. And the Ronald McDonald House gives us a direct way to do that because health care insurance doesn't pay for hotel rooms and meals. Right. And Ronald McDonald House takes care of that. And all Ronald McDonald Houses are funded locally hmm. as charities. They have the brand identity of Ronald McDonald, but they aren't funded by McDonald's. Okay. I did not know that. No, no. Yeah. It's, it's very little money from the mother organization. Yeah. Yeah, so and you've, you've got Cars Caring Kids now, and that's obviously up and running. I participated in the last cruise. It was awesome. I mean, it was just kids everywhere. I think it was super beneficial for the kids. And it, and it was also incredibly meaningful to me to see these patients of mine. And I mean, it was a lot of 
kids that I've taken care of and yeah. we've all taken care of, right? There's a, there's a sort of cohort of kids we see a lot of. And to see them out just having fun and being kids, right? Because you forget that, like, they're kids sometimes. Sometimes it's just like they're in a gown. They're in a hospital bed. You're like, oh, you must always be this. No, right? They're out being kids most of the time. And to see that is just such a remi- an important reminder, I think, for, on the healthcare side. And it's, it's obvious that this is a, you know, Cars Caring Kids has momentum. It's doing really great stuff. And, and you are actually now, though, starting something new. So we are engaging with the Chula Vista, which is one of the biggest resorts and I think the oldest resort in the Wisconsin Dells. It's, it's enormous. They have their own golf course. And um, they basically approached us about starting a separate 501c3 to do what we're already doing in Dane County to do it statewide. I think that the thing that they found attractive is, you know, unlike other foundations, one, I don't demand the board members make a donation. Two, I'm a results-oriented work environment kind of guy, so if you don't show up for every meeting, that's fine. I don't care. We can do a lot of stuff by email. As long as you vote, I don't care, you know. And you need different people for different things, and you need people for different times of the year. So I think what really got them is I said, listen, we're not building a war chest with cars carrying kids. We plan to spend down everything we have other than our operational expenses, and we don't really have a lot of operational expenses. So if we go in on this, I said, I'm not interested in building a war chest. I want to go fix problems immediately. And if we blow everything, fine, we'll go raise it again next year. And if we're good at solving problems, we won't have a problem raising money. And I said, I also think we need to be completely transparent on who we're funding. And I I think that really got Mike Kaminsky's attention. And, and, you know, he's up in the Dells, the, the... Non-vacation population up there is about 2,600, right? They're, wow. They're up in Adams. Yeah, small. He, he's, yeah. Up, he's up across the Adams County line, so it's pretty rural. Um, and obviously, they have a big bias towards children, right? They have a water park resort indoors, right? I mean, that's their yeah. bread and butter. It's their business, yeah. families, kids. Yeah. So well, That's perfect, yeah. You, you know, so he saw, you know, what we're doing, and he saw the immediate need around rural health care. So, so we're just scaling all that up. And the fact that we've done this before and we've baited the whole granting process and we have a lot of connectivity with our existing board, he said, let's do it. But we have to start a separate 501c3 because he wants to have two big events. And once you get more than two big events and you have a 501c3, you invite an audit from the IRS. Mm-hmm. So it had to be its separate uh, 501c3. Yeah. So our... Our date for our event is September 6th and 7th of 2019. Wow. And we're planning on opening the granting, grant application process January 1st. Um, you know, through you and other people, I'm trying to establish conduits to reach healthcare providers. And I have a very broad definition of healthcare providers. It's, it's largely anybody who, it could be teachers, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, if somebody comes to me with an idea about, look, I want to make schools safer to prevent gun violence. Yeah. That's a healthcare issue. This is the exact thing we're talking about right. earlier, right? So you're not. This is. These are not going to be necessarily be grants to researchers, right? No. These are not going to academics. This is for communities who have a direct impact that they could make if they just had some money right. to do it. Right. Because the best ideas come from the ground. Yeah. They come from the people. They actually know what's what's wrong in their communities. Yeah. Absolutely. And and they have an idea how to fix them. They just don't have the resources. Yeah. Um, so so you know, I, like I said, we have a very broad definition of what a healthcare provider is. Sounds fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming over and spending some time with us. And like, this is this is all tremendously exciting stuff. We're like thrilled to see where this all takes us. So, a couple of things. So, yeah. uh, definitely, you know, Ronald McDonald House and Charities, 
important to donate to, particularly Madison. So if any, anybody has some interest, they have a wonderful website. We've got several websites. We have carscaringkids.net for our Cars Caring Kids 501c3. Um, we just bought the URLs for kidshealthvista.org. Uh, I think we also did khv.org, okay. um, children's health vista. And Kids Vista and Children's Vista. So we got. So can't miss it. So you can't miss yeah. it. Um, and okay. that'll be going live probably, I would say, in a month or two. Okay. Probably in the next month because we've got, got to get all the social media stuff out and start soliciting grants um, by the 1st of January. So Awesome. And we can definitely, we'll, we'll link to all those off of the, uh, the Surgery Set website too. Okay. Great. Okay. Thank you. Join us next time on The Surgery Set when I speak with my friend, Dr. Mark Slidell. He's a pediatric trauma surgeon and trauma medical director for the Comer Children's Hospital at the University of Chicago. We talk about the value of having coordinated care between adult and pediatric trauma centers, something the city of Chicago knows too much about. Thanks for listening, and talk to you soon. The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by Chelsea Johnson and me, Jonathan Kohler. It was recorded by Chris Hansen and edited by Elizabeth DiNovella. Our theme song is On Wisconsin, arranged and produced by Jamie Schmidt. I encourage you to visit us at surgery.wisc.edu, where you can find links to Grand Rounds, free CME credits, and more. You can also check out the UW School of Medicine and Public Health Video Library for a wide range of medical education resources at videos.med.wisc.edu. In addition, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. And of course, you can follow us on social media. You can like our Facebook page and also find us on Twitter at Whisk Surgery, and I'm at J.E. Kohler, K-O-H-L-E-R. Please feel free to let us know how we're doing, rate and review us on your podcast app, and don't hesitate to let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover. Thanks, and we hope you check back soon. On Wisconsin.